We, in the last couple months, uh, we've gotten together, a few of us at the church, and realized that we're getting uh, some older kids now. Some of our kids that were little kids before are getting older, and so we need to teach them a little bit more how to sit in church, and we want to have the little kids continue to have their special time. Uh, and so we've, we've devised this plan where uh, normally the younger kids, you saw my two little ones leave uh, at the children's sermon and go downstairs, but the older kids have been staying in worship and then leaving for the last hymn to kind of talk about the sermon so that they're paying attention and so that we're getting them uh, discussing a lot of that. And so this put on me a, a little bit of a challenge where I had to start helping some of the kids and helping my kids start to think about what is a sermon and how do you listen to a sermon. And uh, I wrote some questions for debriefing. How do you talk about a sermon afterwards? So that the adults knew what to do when they went downstairs after church with, or, or at the last hymn with these kids. And this, this posed for me an interesting question. How many of you have ever been taught how to listen to a sermon? How many of you have ever been taught what a sermon's about and what your role is in the sermon versus what my role as a sermon is? And so as I did that for the kids and I did that for the adults that were discussing, I thought... We really need to just do this. And so today, I want to lay out a sermon about sermons. I want to talk about what a sermon is and how do you listen to a sermon. What should happen in a sermon. And uh, I hope that it's helpful. Uh, In your bulletin should be a uh, kind of a fill in the blank to go along with this. It seems really long, but a lot of the questions on the back we're not going to deal with. Those are questions for after uh, after the sermon. We're going to talk about what those are, but we're not going to get into them too much. And so you might want to follow along there, and hopefully by the end of this, you will understand what a sermon is, and how you listen to a sermon, and how it fits in the worship service. I I just hope this would be helpful for you. Uh, I'm kind of embarrassed I never thought to do this before. Um, But here we go anyway. I want to start with one of my favorite sermons in the whole Bible. Okay, we don't know what the sermon's about, but we have a little story in Acts chapter 20. So let me just read it to you. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. It is, for me, one of the funniest moments in all the scriptures. So here we go. On the first day of the week, when, they, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome with sleep, he fell from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is still in him. And when Paul had gone up, broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a while longer until daybreak, And so departed, and they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. I find this story so funny. Paul is preaching all night. He gets long-winded, and he's going, and he's going, and he's going, and he keeps going so much that Eutychus, who is sitting by the window on the third story, falls asleep. So even Paul could put people to sleep. I don't feel that bad about it. Eutychus falls to his death. Paul goes down. This text says he fell down, that he, he bent over him, takes him up in his arms. Some versions actually say he laid down on top of him, like he laid on him. And uh, said, no, he's alive and brought him back. 
I think it's a great biblical paradigm, for, by the way, for what I should do when you fall asleep. Or if you pass out in a sermon, I'm just going to come out and lay down on top of you, and it'll be fine. Um, sermons are a funny thing. And the Bible is actually strangely uh, silent about sermons. We have little glimpses of sermons. We have little things that Paul said. We have teachings of Jesus, like the Sermon on the Mount, but those seem to be more like collections of sermons. I mean, in that particular case, they're there so long that Jesus has to feed them because they're all getting hungry, right? And the teachings we have of Jesus don't amount to near that amount of time. So we know we don't have a full sermon. We don't seem to have a full sermon in the whole Bible, and the Bible doesn't really say that much about sermons. It seems like, for Paul in this instance, it's more like a discussion. And in the early church, it seems like it was more around tables, was more in informal settings. But we do know a few things about the sermons. We do know a few things about what's important in sermons. And so I want to develop that a little bit. First of all, sermons are focused on the gospel. The gospel, that's blank number one. Let me read to you first from First Corinthians 15. Now it reminds you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received. Okay, so Paul's making this big deal. Here's what I preached to you. Here's the core of my preaching. That Christ died for your sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That for Paul is the good news. That word good news is the word euangelion in the Greek. It's the same word from which we get evangelism or evangelical. The good news, the gospel. The good news is that Christ has done something on our behalf. And Paul says... That that's what he preached. Above all else, he preaches the gospel. The gospel has implications then, so that sermons are also about, number two, the kingdom. From Mark chapter 1. Now after after John was arrested, that's John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus links this gospel, this good news of what he's doing on earth with this other word, this word kingdom. This is a complicated word in the scriptures, but it just means Jesus, because of what he's done, because of his gospel, he's the king. He's the ruler. There's not a part of this world to which Jesus cannot point and say, that's mine. That's part of my kingdom. And so, Jesus not only announces the gospel, but he preaches about this kingdom. That the gospel, what Jesus did, has implications for the world around us. So when you raise your kids, that's part of God's kingdom. And that means the gospel has something to say about that. And when you go to work, that's part of God's kingdom, so the gospel has something to say about that. There's not a part of this world where God doesn't have something to say about it based on the gospel. The gospel changes Everything. The other thing we know is linked to scriptures, is linked to sermons, is the word. The word. 2 Timothy 2.16 says, All scripture is God, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we've got a gospel, and this gospel has implications for kingdom. And the kingdom and this gospel is presented in one place of authority over all others. And that's the scriptures. The scriptures. God's word. That's the authoritative retelling of the gospel. So that all preaching has to come from those three things. All preaching has to be about the gospel, the kingdom, and it has to be connected to the word. Now, we'll develop this a little bit because you see me on today, I'm bouncing around in the word. But it's still always rooted in the word because the word is the authoritative way that we hear this gospel. So the goal of preaching, and this is a big deal. The goal of preaching is not entertainment. It's not entertainment. I'm not up here to entertain you. There are much more entertaining things to do than listen to me do this. Okay? There's probably a bunch of other channels on TV right now more entertaining than what I'm doing right now. This is not about entertaining. It's actually not about motivating. It's not about motivation. Motivation is, this is not a, this is not a self-help talk right now. It's something else. It is about the proclamation It is the proclamation of the good news in the kingdom. That's what I'm supposed to do when I'm up here. And it is always centered on Christ. Always comes back to Jesus. Run and hide from the preacher that does not mention Jesus in a sermon. Because that's what we proclaim. Period. Now, when we say proclamation, we actually, in the Bible, hear three different things. First of all, proclaiming this good news happens in the lives of Christ followers. Lives of Christ followers. Here's what that means. Big deal. I am not the only person that should be preaching and proclaiming. You should be proclaiming. You should be saying some of this stuff. You should have some words about the good news. And more than that, your lives should be proclaiming. Right? There are a lot of people in your world that will never hear me preach... But they will see your lives. And your lives ought to be a sermon. Your lives ought to represent this good news and represent this kingdom. Your lives ought to be oriented and based on the word of God. So on one level you have this this idea that we all are in our own lives to be proclaiming the good news. But sometimes there's another level of sort of group discussions and teachings. There's Bible studies. There's small group gatherings. There's times when we get together and share more informally as groups. And then there are these weird things, number three, called sermons. This odd form of of talking and listening and and having proclamation in front of you. This is really a, there's not many people that get up and stand in front of audiences for 20 minutes anymore. Most political speeches are not this long. Okay, a lot of teaching gets done a lot more interactive anymore. Um, you got comics, and you got pastors, and even comics are, I think, a little bit of a dying breed. So you have sermons, this odd form of planned and prepared teaching. Let me give you a little bit of a history of sermons, just very briefly. Um, it doesn't appear in the Bible that, that what I do as a sermon, getting up and saying stuff and it being one-sided like this, where I'm active and you're passive... Happens. We, we really don't have any record of a sermon like we're doing it, per se. 
Um, there were times of teachings in the Jewish synagogues. And we know that because Jesus was a part of some of those. Where someone would get up and read a scripture and then talk about it. And Jesus does that from time to time when he's in Jerusalem. There's also this group of Greeks called the Sophists. Sophists uh, comes from the Greek word for wisdom. And the Sophists were in the Roman Empire these people who would give speeches and would give motivational talks. And they were the first ones to really do that. And they would also debate. They got experts. They became experts in making cases and arguing cases and debating. They made pretty good money going around and presenting on different things. They were just public speakers. But they learned how to make arguments. In the Old Testament, we, we have really no sermons. We have proclamations by prophets, but um, not sermons like this. Again, Jesus is more informal, I think. And uh, Jesus doesn't ever take an Old Testament text and like split it apart and preach a sermon out of it. He's bathed in Old Testament imagery, but a lot of his teaching was, hey, look, there's a fig tree. And he uses the common, ordinary thing they're walking by to teach them. Even Paul, we have in his letters, uh, his letters aren't teachings. His letters aren't sermons. And, and what we have in Acts are just pieces of sermons, often given in court, not given in church. In the early church, they met not in pews like this. We, we miss this. Pews come in like the 13, 1400s. Okay? They didn't even have churches there. You know where they met? They met in homes. They met around tables. It was much more informal. They would gather. They would go through the the meal. There would be some time of teaching. And it seems even pretty early on that uh, there would be some kind of elder, some kind of pastor who would do some specific teaching. But it was pretty interactive. Right? It It wasn't quite like this. It was a lot more around tables. It wasn't until a little bit later that we start really getting sermons like this. And it's a lot based on the influence of the Greeks. Uh, these sophists. Once the church becomes less Jewish and, and more Gentile, you get more of this idea of sermons. So by the 300s, we have sermons today from back then. We know that that the idea of the sermon gets going even that early. But it wasn't even the center of the worship service. In the early church, the center of the worship service was communion, was the Eucharist. It was this special time where in the early church, you, if you weren't a member, if you hadn't gone through the long process of becoming a member of a church and been baptized, then you could be there for the meal and you could be there for the sermon and you were excused. Okay? You had to leave before you, we had the sacrament. Um, uh, the high point of worship was the sacrament, not the sermon. This changed in the Reformation. Where in the Reformation in the 1500s, the Reformers looked and said, we need more teaching. Okay? And that, that part stemmed because the Bible was being translated into common languages, and they thought they needed to be able to give more teaching for people. Also, people were being abused because they weren't educated about the faith. So the, the service moved, the service changed, and the service became more about the word, more centered on the word, less about the sacraments. In fact, sacrament wasn't even done always at worship anymore. Um, But a sermon was. Take out your bulletin. Because I did a little switcheroo here. I I doubt anybody knows this. But we have these, these things that are centered in our bulletin. That sort of mark off sections of, of the uh, worship service. I don't know if you know this or not. We have a pretty set, uh, Kind of, we have these sections of our worship service. I changed the names to reflect 
what uh, is commonly used in, by the larger church in the Presbyterian church. Um, but here's the sermon in the worship service. You ready? This, in the worship service in the Reformed church, it's, we, the whole service is built around the word. So on that first page, it says, gather around the word. Gather around the word. That's where we get together. So think about this in our service today. We come together. We have a statement of worship, a call to worship. We sing a song. We do all this confession stuff. That was a big deal for the reformers because they were taking confession away from the priests and putting it into the worship service as you prepared your heart for the word. Okay, But we're gathering. We're getting ready to hear the word. Everybody see this so far? Then there's the proclaiming of the word. If you notice, I do that for the children. And then I do that for the adults. The proclamation of the word. Now actually, in our worship services, we don't necessarily have to have a sermon. You've probably been to services that are more like hymn sings. You know? Because for us, the hymns represent those, those messages, right? If I sing a bunch of hymns, or if I get a special music, or if we have a skit or something, that might be proclaiming this good news. Um, the requirement is scripture has to be read and it has to be interpreted. And it doesn't necessarily have to happen as a sermon. But all that stuff happens there in the proclaiming of the word. Then there's responding to the word. Because normally for us, it's a hymn and the offering. Um, we do that not so that you give your offering based on how well the pastor does. Right? In fact, some pastors don't like to put it there because that's what they feel like. They feel like they're preaching for the offering. But that's not the, the goal. The goal is when you hear the gospel proclaimed, when you hear this good news about what Jesus is up to, you need some way to respond to it. And for us, there's a sung response and there's normally an offering there. There's a section in the, in the bulletin that's not here, but it's normally would be called sealing the word. Sealing the word. And that's the word we use for our sacraments. Now what the sacraments do is they seal for us. Okay? Or uh, if you think in those days you would have a seal, like when you would seal an envelope, you might have a ring or some kind of stamp that you would put on wax, a king would do if this was an official document. Um, that when we have baptism or communion, we are sealing that word. That's still related to the word. We're doing something special to recognize. If we have a little baby up here, we are as a church recognizing the gospel that we just proclaimed in this child. Now, we often do baptisms earlier in the service because it's more convenient with babies. But where it goes at the service technically is here because it's a part of the ceiling. That's why communion always follows, follows uh, uh, the sermon. The sermon is part of getting ready for communion. We're responding to the word. We're sealing the word. And then I love this phrase at the end. Bearing and following the word into the world. Bearing and following the word into the world. What that means is I proclaim the good news for you right now. You're going to respond to it in a little bit with a singing and offering. And then you're supposed to take it out of here and proclaim it in your own life. You're supposed to take it with you. You're supposed to follow it where it takes you this week. And you're supposed to share that with other people. This is the idea that you are a sermon also. And I kind of need to see that laid out in the worship service. Um, I think that's helpful because you get to understand where the sermon fits in the worship service. Um, this, is our, this is the reformed way of doing it. Um, if, you, if you had asked the early church to lay this out, they might have focused a little more on communion and a little less on the word. Uh, this is how we tend to think about it. 
So let me talk to you. I've laid out sermons, where they come from, uh, where they fit in the worship service. Now let me talk about how sermons uh, work. I think this is just helpful information. First of all, the pastor picks the sermons. In the Presbyterian church, the pastor picks the sermons. Uh, I actually, in a Presbyterian church, I don't have all that much power. I'm one of the session members, which means we vote on all kinds of stuff. But generally what happens in worship, and definitely what happens in the sermon, is my responsibility. And, and that's how it is. We don't vote on what we're preaching on. Do I ask for advice? Do I get ideas sometimes? Yeah. But the pastor is responsible for that. So I, I, that's a, a pretty awesome responsibility. In the book of James, the people who are teaching are held accountable for what they teach to you. That's why it's very important for me that I teach a variety of sermons. I have a lot of different stuff I talk about. Because what I don't want to do is pass all my weaknesses on to you. Right? I need to be pushed in my preaching so that I'm also pushing you in your faith. So I try to vary my preaching quite a bit. There are different types of sermons. And none of these are neat, exclusive categories. But let me share with you uh, some different kinds of sermons. Uh, most, most people understand and think about sermons as exegetical. Exegetical. E-X-E-G-E-T-I-C-A-L. That means exploring a text from the Bible. In fact, some people think this is the only way to preach. You will go to some places where they just open the text and verse by verse go through the text. And uh, uh, we're getting to why I think there's a need for variety. And I've already shared with you, the Bible doesn't actually have examples of that or tell you you have to do it that way. Um, But an exegetical sermon takes a text and picks it apart. Often exegetical sermons go right through books of the Bible. Uh, so you just, you just march through. Last year I preached on the book of James, and I just went right through. We talked through James. Um, sometimes exegetical can be, well, the next category is thematic. Thematic, focus more on a topic or an issue. See, that's where it can get a little fuzzy. Like, I preached a series earlier this year on the parables of Jesus. Those were very exegetical sermons, right? I took the passage and we picked it apart and talked about it. Um, but I didn't follow straight through a text. It was a thematic I was looking at, text related to a particular theme. So you might have sermons on love, hope, joy. Uh, this is a more thematic sermon, right? I'm looking at the idea of sermons, and I've, I've kind of jumped off of some texts now. But I'm, I'm speaking more broadly off of those texts. And I think that's actually how a lot of Paul's sermons went, a lot of how Jesus' sermons went. And I'm okay with that. Some sermons are current event-focused. Current event sermons. Those focus around special circumstances. Um, when 9-11 happened, a lot of pastors had to throw away their sermons and talk about 9-11. That's just how it was. That's current event sermon. Um, I did that at this church when we did our church anniversary. Okay, Now I told the history of the church and who we are as a church. That really related specifically to that day. Some sermons are for special days. Special days. Related to a holiday or a festival. Um, Easter sermons are their own thing. Christmas Eve is their own thing. Pentecost is their own thing. And in the early church, pretty quickly, they start figuring out these festivals. They already had Jewish festivals. And then the Christians started coming up with their own festivals. And so even early preaching tends to relate around festival days, around this idea of a church calendar. Theology sermons. Theology is expound on particular theological principles. I did this at Lent. I really want to talk about what does the cross mean? 
And I ended up using some larger terms and unpacking those terms. That's a theology sermon, all right? That was pretty exegetical. I was really going off of text, but it was more theology. Um, the last one is biographical. That's when you look at the, a particular life of a Christian. I like to do those, particularly in the fall, I'll do one on Reformation Sunday. I like to do that. What you find is with me, I like to mix these up quite a bit. So if you, if you were to go back, I plan my calendar, my preaching calendar out a little bit. Um, I did something on uh, the parables, right? So I got gospel. Over the summer, we're going to be looking at the minor prophets in the Old Testament. So we're going to be in the Old Testament quite a bit. I did a theological series for, uh, um, for Lent. I'm doing more topical stuff kind of in between here. I like to vary my sermons. I think that's good for me. I think that's good for you. Um, as long as they're still informed by Scripture and proclaiming that gospel and that kingdom, I'm, I like the variety. Um, you probably have gone to other churches that are not like that, right? Where you pretty much know how this is going to go. I think there's health in the variety. It's just a little personal preference of mine. Role of the Holy Spirit. That's, I want to just say a few words about the role of the Holy Spirit. Because I really believe, as Christians, most of us have a view of the Holy Spirit that's way too small. We think of God being very distant, up in heaven. We think of Jesus as this sort of past historical figure, not really with us. And we, especially in the, like the Presbyterian church and mainline churches, we have a very small Holy Spirit. But I don't. I think the Holy Spirit is with us and guiding us and speaking to us and all around us. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is there in the, in the preparation of sermons. I'll be honest. Uh, this is how, I'll tell you how I learned the role of the Holy Spirit in the church. I have had some sermons that I thought were brilliant. Like, I thought they were really good. And they were boring as all get out when I looked at the faces in the pews. I thought, man, you guys missed this greatness, right? And I have had Sunday mornings where I got up and I think, this is a dud. This one is terrible. If I had five more hours, I don't think I could resolve this sermon. And I get up here and people come up and say, wow, Jordan, thank you for that sermon. That really meant a lot. And so I realized that there's no agreement between how much I prepare and how good I think it is and how it actually lands with people. There's this factor I can't control, and I know it's the Holy Spirit. I also know this because I've had people come up and say, Jordan, you know, last week you said this and this, and it really meant like it spoke right to me. And I'd be like, good, yeah, that's, that's amazing. And I walk away thinking, I never said that. I didn't say that at all. That had nothing to do with my sermon. How did that person hear something that was nothing on the... That was, I didn't say that at all. Or I've had things I didn't mean to say, but I threw in there, and man, God was speaking right to somebody. You know what I know? That is not me. That is not me. I, it has happened enough times where, where I know it is not me. And my prayer all the time is the Holy Spirit shows up in the process. Not only in my preparation, but in my delivery and to you. And if there's something that I'm saying that you're not supposed to hear, I pray that it just falls on deaf ears and you miss it. And if I'm supposed to say something and I didn't, I hope you hear it anyway. Uh, it's just kind of funny how it works. But I think the Holy Spirit is a part of this process. This is related to me, to the role of creativity in sermons. Um, I am an outside-the-box thinker. You all know this by now, right? Uh, I'm pretty willing to get pretty creative in my sermons. But for me, the creativity is never about entertainment. And I really try to guard against this. I never do something. I have lots of crazy ideas that I do not do, by the way. Right? 
I only do something if I really think it serves the purpose of the message I think the Holy Spirit has for a sermon. If it does, I do it. And if it doesn't, I scrap it. I do not want it to be about creativity or innovation because I don't think the sermon should be about me. The sermon should be about the gospel. The sermon should be about the kingdom. It should be about the proclamation of the word. Um, heaven forbid you ever come in here and see me and don't see the cross behind me. You, it, it's not about me. It's about that. And so for me, that's where creativity gets tricky. And so what I try to do is I try to study my text early in the week and then as the week progresses, I, I have more freedom to say, okay, how can I say this in a way that's going to connect and going to point people to where it needs to? For instance, yesterday, I thought, I, this is a complicated enough idea that I need to write, make this outline with all these blanks. And so yesterday afternoon, I was typing away because I needed that. I felt like I needed that. Um, it's just how it happened. It's what I thought I needed. It's always in service. And here's the other big question. The big question for me in preaching is who is the Savior? Who is the Savior in the sermon? Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. When he says lifted up, he's talking about the cross, but I think it's more than that. I want in our sermons, in our times, to lift Jesus up so that he draws people to himself. And I hear too much preaching. I hear too much preaching on TV. I hear too much preaching when I go to other places where Jesus isn't the Savior, we are. Where it's, here's ten ways to make your marriage better. That's not a good news sermon. That's a self-help sermon. Okay? You're not the savior of your life. And, and heaven forbid I ever preach a sermon where I propose that. Now, the good news has implications for your life. Right? But the sermon always has to start with the good news. It always has to be based on good news. So do I want you to have a better marriage? Yes. I want you to, to live out your, this good news in your marriage. Definitely I want that. But the purpose of the sermon is to help connect the good news to the marriage. And if all I talk about is the marriage, it's a self-help talk. It's not a sermon. That's my view, and I'm sticking to it. Okay. Um, You can turn your page over. But we're almost done, so don't don't panic because you turned over. Okay? Here's the thing about sermons. Here's the sermon thing about the word proclaim. It does no good. If it's proclaimed, but it's not heard. It has to be received. And that means you have to receive it. Remember the parable of the soils? There's all kinds of soils. And when the seed of the kingdom is, is, is thrown out there, like I'm doing in a sermon, you've got to be the right soil to receive it. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you are responsible to listen to the sermon. You are responsible to hear it, to understand it, and to think about it. So I want to give you some things to think about. The, the problem with doing it this way, instead of having a discussion is you can tend to feel passive, right? I'm here, I absorb, I leave. That's not how it should be. You need to get engaged. So, I would encourage you with a few things. Pray for the sermon and the pastor. Pray. Pray Pray that this comes, that it comes out right, that we do okay, that I'm not sick on this day, that I'm listening to God, there's not something wrong in my life. You know, pray that I'm not in temptation or in a bunch of struggles so that I'm really able to go to the mountain of the Lord and bring back the message. Pray that God would speak to you through the sermon. Pray that there's a nugget in here, that there's something that God wants to show you and that you don't miss it. Pray you don't miss it. Open your mind to new thinking. you got to open your mind. You can be really closed off. You ever, try, you ever listen to somebody when you don't really want to listen to somebody? 
You, you don't, you're not listening. You're not thinking about it. In fact, people tend to physically close down when that happens. They close off. Open up. Open your mind. Take notes. Take notes. This is really easy on a day when I give you a bunch of blanks. Right? But uh, take some notes. Write some things down. If you, if you hear the sermon, you're going to remember a little bit of it. But if you write it down and then read your notes later, you're going to remember a lot of it. If you do that over the next 52 weeks... That's going to be a lot more you're absorbing out of what goes on here. Listen for God speaking. Not from me. What if the Holy Spirit has something to say to you when I'm up here? Don't miss that. Question what you hear. Don't assume that I'm right. I'm wrong a lot. Not as much as my wife thinks I am. But I'm wrong quite a bit. Uh, More than I think I am. Right? Question stuff. Jordan, you said that. Did that. Is that real? Where'd you get that information? What was that verse again? Question stuff. Question what you hear. And ask questions. Ask questions. It's one of, one of the, I'm not offended when you ask me stuff. I'm excited. I always walk away like, oh, that person listened. If you tell me nice sermon, that does not mean anything to me. Because I've had people tell me nice sermon when I watch them sleep through the service. I know they did not listen. You honor me more when you say, Jordan, I've been thinking about that. Okay, that's what I like to hear. Ask questions. I'm honored by that, not offended by that. And share your one thing. Share your one thing. What's the one thing God spoke to you in a sermon? Figure that out. Tell me that. Tell somebody else that. And debrief it later. Debrief it later. Think about the sermon. When we were kids, and some of you will remember being kids like this. Do you remember sitting around at lunch or dinner on Sunday and talking about what happened to church and what the sermon was? Used to be you talked about the sermon afterwards. As a family, you sat down and said, here's what happened. Here's what we did. I'm I'm scared that most people don't know how to debrief a sermon anymore. So I've given you on the back of that sheet a whole bunch of questions for how to debrief a sermon. And uh, I, I, I just copied and pasted these off of what I gave to the adults who take the, little, the, young, the older kids downstairs. But, but I'm not going to go through all those. But let me tell you the three categories. Because I think this is important for debriefing anything. Start with what happened. Can you recap the sermon? What did Jordan say? What were examples did he use? What did the preacher mean? Don't, we have a tendency to, to jump to what I think about something before we really have heard what was already said. Does that make sense, everybody? Debrief what actually happened first. No opinions. What, it, what was said. Then ask, so what? What do you mean? What do you think of that? And then ask application questions. Now what? If you will slow yourself down to go through those three kind of sets, and you don't have to use the same questions that I use, but if you say what, then so what, then now what, um, you're going you're gonna to get a whole lot more out of stuff. By the way, those three questions are great at work. Something happens at work, you want to talk to your staff about it, or your coworkers. Don't start with what do you think about that, or what should we learn from that. What, so what, now what is a great way to debrief. Here's my point. I'm trying to give you some tools to think through how you approach sermons. I'm trying to let you know a little bit how I approach sermons. What I want to make sure that I'm clear to say is that this is not just me giving you information. You have a responsibility in a sermon. And I'm sorry the church has not always been good at teaching that, but now you know. You need to be open. 
you need to receive this. And let me say one other thing. That if this 20 minutes I just gave is the only spiritual nutrition that you get this week, then you are spiritually starving. Okay? The sermon was never meant to be all that you ever learn about God during the week. It was never meant to do that. It was meant to help aim and support your own personal devotion and your own personal relationship with Christ. This, this doesn't cut it. One meal a week will not sustain you. It won't do it physically, and it will not do it spiritually either. This is supposed to support what you do on a regular basis to engage this good news, to engage this word, and to think about the kingdom. If this is all you're getting, then there's nothing. I can I can be Billy Graham or Billy Sunday or the Apostle Paul, and it's not going to be enough to sustain you for what this world might throw at you. You need more than this 20 minutes. So think about that. And maybe if you take some notes, like now you've got some verses you could look at later. Now this sermon can be start of launching your personal devotion time to think about this stuff and to look some of these verses up later. I hope this was helpful and encouraging. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for this weird thing called a sermon and for the privilege that it is that you speak through me when I stand up here and do this. And I pray that it would never fall on deaf ears. That it would never return to you void, but that you would bring life and growth from it. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us respond to the word by singing, I love to tell the story.